This episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Olsen Salt, Australia's oldest family-owned salt company. For me, baking, it's a, a smell and a feeling at the same time. It's almost like your heart has a nose and it can smell it. It, 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 it Yeah, it's like it, hit, it hits home in a different way. That just, just makes me really happy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It's a bit like the lure of a fire. Those that get a taste of life in hospitality find solace in its inner glow and are forever drawn to it. No matter which way life takes them, they find themselves back to immerse themselves in a life where creativity has no limits and the art of nourishing and delivering experiences is like no other. What is it about the hospitality life that is so alluring? Lucy Whitlow is the head pastry chef of Osteria Ilaria in Melbourne. Lucy, how are you going? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. You've uh, had a career that's jumped in and out of hospitality, but you've um, also changed sort of paths within hospitality. What, what's the lure for you for a career in hospitality? Yeah, I suppose the 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 creative learning. Uh, whenever you learn something new, you can take what you already have learned in hospitality and do something more creative with it. So it's it's like a an adventure. Take us back to the early years. You're from New Zealand originally. What was food like for you growing up? Um, it was awesome. It was a massive, massive part of my upbringing. Um, just because we like to eat pretty much all of us in the family. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, a massive part, but also a massive uh, fight to the leftovers uh, and who gets to do the dishes and scrape out the roasting pot for all the good bits at the bottom. Um, yeah, food was awesome. It was a main, the main focus every day and every weekend, uh, spending family lunches under a massive avocado tree, um, spending lots of time together and just eating. You originally started as a, as a trained as a baker. What was it about baking that, that interested you? Um, when I remember uh, when I was in primary school, I asked mum one day if, if she could make some cookies for me to go to school with for my, for my lunches, and she was like, oh, you can make them yourself, Lucy. Uh, I think being the third, ch- the, being, yeah, being the third child, she was she was had had enough of making school lunches. But I thought that was the best thing ever. I didn't, I didn't think I was allowed to do that. So yeah, I was stoked. I was like, started making cookies and uh, just baking in the kitchen with Mum, and then that's like. Yeah, just progressed over time. I think I've always, always baked. Uh, it brings that like warm happiness to people around you. You weren't always going to be in the hospitality sector. Tell us a bit about that period of time um, prior to entering the industry. Um, I yeah, I moved down to Wellington in New Zealand to go to university and do fashion design, um, and. A lot of that was just uh, 
I think, trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, with my life after school. And when when I uh, made a c- collection of clothes called Baked, Baked Until Suppressed, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> uh, which was heavily on a woman in the kitchen uh, and the expectation to uh, be quiet and bake back, back in the old days. Um, yeah, as I, it was just mainly because I didn't want to go to uni and I wanted to stay home and bake and cook for my friends and stuff like that. So it, it was a, a project that made me realize that I should, yeah, probably go and do some baking instead of trying to make clothes. Do you have any memories of that first time that you worked in a commercial kitchen and uh, realized what you're in for? Um, I, out from university, I worked in a wood fire pizza restaurant for a while and yeah the I loved it the fire the energy the it wasn't a massive kitchen but it was still a good introduction into just cooking and the the push in a way of getting it all out and it looking great tasting good you lived in uh, Hawke's Bay, grew up there. What was that region like for restaurants and, and um, produce while you were young? Hawke's Bay is incredible. Um, it's, it's considered like the fruit bowl of New Zealand. Um, there's uh, like just orchards orchards everywhere. Uh, go, and pick, go and pick your own. Um, my... Uh, my mum used to work for an organic uh, veggie farmer, some family friends, and yeah, which was cool. She uh, she was a massive, massive gardener. Um, so we used she used to get paid in fresh fruit and vegetables. Uh, yeah, which was which was cool. So I'd, I'd often end up going to school with like a whole capsicum to eat instead of an apple, and Everyone else has their like packets of chippies. I'm like, you guys don't know what you're missing out on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but she uh, uh, turned our entire front yard into a um, a veggie garden and spent like a year turning the soil because uh, it's a super sandy in Hawke's Bay. Yeah, um, and so we would grow a lot of our fruit and vegetables in the front yard. And I think all the neighbors thought we were pretty mad with corn instead of roses. <laughs> Tell us about your time in Hawke's Bay. You started sort of building your career, working as a baker and pastry chef in various restaurants. Do you have memories of the, of that time? Yeah, definitely. Definitely learning uh in being the baker in restaurants, it was pretty cool to uh, like learn more about the chefing world and um, have conversations with chefs about what they're doing. And I bring my knowledge of baking, and they they teach me about proteins and what they're doing. And it it definitely moulded my breaking baking brain. Um, I think to include other uh, other genres of food which was cool and and sort of meant that 
I could collaborate with the chefs and stuff more. Do you have any uh, desserts that you remember that sort of um, epitomise that period of time of restaurants that you're in in, in that area? Not, pati- not for that period of time, but a dessert that I just put on at Asteria Laria and Apple Crumble um, is heavily based on me and my siblings fighting for the apple crumble out of the fridge in the in the, in the morning when it's uh, when it's cold and it's sat for a day in the fridge. I that's one of my favourite food memories is waking up in the morning and going and knowing that there's going to be apple crumble in the fridge. You you ended up back in Wellington um, as head baker. Uh, what, what does it take to be a head baker? Can you give us the average day um, that you went through at Egmont Street Eatery? Um, the, there we would uh, do wholesale baking for a, a lot of cafes and restaurants in Wellington, uh, but then also do the like the bread and a lot of sweets for Egmont Street Eatery. Um, so a lot of a lot is. Uh, just organising production and the timing of knowing your doughs and understanding, like, if this is moving at this pace, I need to get this dough on at this time and uh, so that you don't stitch yourself up. Um, yeah, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of baking is knowing what, how the thing's going to behave and then organising your production and your night so that you everything times out perfectly. Like one thing comes out of the oven and then the next thing's ready to go straight in. Um, so you kind of feel like you, when you've got big production shifts, you you get that sort of like rush that you do at times in service where it's like boom, 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 this has to go, go, go. Yeah, which I think uh, has the transaction into uh, service kitchens has been similar in some ways. What is it about baking that you love? I don't know. It's just, it's a, a smell and a feeling at the same time. It's, uh, yeah, it's like for me baking it's almost like your heart has a nose and it can smell it. It, 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 it yeah, it's like it hit, it hits home in a different way that just is, makes me really happy. Yeah. You spent a lot of time, obviously, growing up in New Zealand and some of your career as well. How would you define New Zealand food? Um, I find news yeah, New Zealand. I don't find to have a massive identity apart from like the the moldy food of course uh which like the indigenous food in new zealand is awesome it's not massively accessible though uh commercially um which uh monique faizo's changing hugely with uh Kai. um and it would be cool it would be super cool to have it more accessible uh, commercially. It's more of a community, um, a community like 
projects like at homes and in community events you can get a hang and stuff like that but you can't yeah um which i think is what makes it special when there is one because it is so much about the people that you're with when you have it um but the going out and eating in new zealand it's very uh based on the ocean but not a strong identity to to the the Maori culture uh, in general, uh, which is which is a shame. And I hope that um, I hope that with things like what Monique Pfizer is doing, it keeps growing and heading in that direction to tie the Maori food back into back into the commercial scene. Yeah. What lured you over to Australia? Uh, the food. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, I wanted to challenge. Uh, I wanted to challenge myself. Um, I came here thinking, what am I capable of and what can I do? Um, and the, the, the food scene in Melbourne is so awesome and there's so much talent and like in such a small place all around each other um, that, yeah, it was just seems like the obvious place to be like, going to have a good time there, hopefully. <laughs> Tell us about your first experience um, in Melbourne. Is there some highlights and memories that you can tell us about? Um, okay. I had a, yeah, working at Alaria when, um, we had a great a great team when I first started there and made some really close friends um, and we would all just go out and eat together and enjoy each other's company and have a lot of laughs. Um, I can't think of a specific a specific memory, but I just I, for that first solid year there, I made sure I made the most of every opportunity that came up and ate a lot. <laughs> Just <laughs> went around. I was like, <laughs> there's all these places I want to try. There's not enough time. This episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Olsen Salt, makers of Australian sea salt since 1948. The sea has given my family everything. My family harvests the pristine waters from the Great Australian Bight to make some of the best sea salt in the world. Hi, I'm Alex Olson from Olson Sea Salt. We are the oldest family-owned salt company in Australia. We took over the leases of Pacific Salt in Baruka on the York Peninsula in the early 1960s. And then when the BHP salt leases in Wyala became available, my father took those over as well. If anyone has visited Wyala, I know it's a very, very windy place. So the three things you need to make salt are seawater, wind and sun, and you get plenty of all three of those here. Wind is a really important factor in making good sea salt because it creates a greater surface area for the sun to evaporate the water, creating brine much faster. We take the seawater from Great Australian Bight and then we store it in something called a primary pond. 
Then it's fed through a succession of ponds from anywhere between eight months and two years until it gets so heavy in brine and the water has evaporated off, the salt starts to fall out of the water and it's as simple as that. That's all that we do and we wash it in seawater and package it. For more information, go to olsons.com.au. Well, you're the head pastry chef at Osteria Ilaria. And tell us about what you're what you're doing there and it's Italian restaurant. How, how does that work with the creations of your desserts? Um, I think uh, like I I have le- been learning from them uh, more about Italian cuisine and the ingredients that are used. Uh, they've taught me a huge amount about that and constantly exposed me to Italian ingredients and recipes and stuff like that. Uh, so in a way, I take the things that I know I like to eat for dessert and and then just make sure that I can add in these ingredients or, or the inspiration from what they talk about they eat in Italy um, in some way and put the two together to try and make some try and make some stuff that hopefully everyone fits in with Italy but uh, in a Serialaria's vibe um, but also just as yum. <laughs> Can you take us through the your creative process of um, a, a dessert that you have on at the moment and, and how you construct it? Um. The, I have a uh, almond toast on at the moment. Um, that is was kind of started from just when I wanted something sweet at home. I would grab a spoon and put some peanut butter on the end of it and some cho- chocolate on the other end, <laughs> and. Uh, like dip into two different jars to um, have a little bit of chocolate and peanut butter. Um, so the dessert is a, um, a toast-based dough that I make uh, that is filled with a caramel that uh, is made from the raw dough also. Um, so it kind of takes on like a the smell and flavour of a bread dough, but eats like a caramel um yeah which which is awesome i read about in magnus nelson's book how he was making like a savory uh dough sauce and thought that that could if i just add some sugar and cream surely that will turn into a caramel um yeah and then that's with a a chocolate mousse and a almond butter uh, gelato um, so eats as though you're eating almond butter on toast with chocolate. Um, yeah, which yeah, which was uh, yeah, just uh, I was just eating out of my cupboard, uh, uh, <laughs> peanut <laughs> instead of sitting down and having a dessert, uh, peanut butter and <laughs> chocolate <laughs> off a spoon. <laughs> During this time, you've also. Um been interested and um, 
studied cheese, understand. Tell us a bit about how that came about and what you've been doing. Um, yeah, when uh, when I started at Cerealaria, I, I got to learn about lots of really cool cheeses. Um, and Ella, Ella Ruxton, who was the sous chef at the time there, uh, her and I, um, yeah, got along super, like, became best mates pretty fast and could bounce ideas off each other really well. Um, and we uh, were like, we're going to make some cheese. This is, this is going to be, this is going to be great. We're going to, we're going to take over the world making, making cheese. Uh, so we, um, we, to be honest, we were just having beers after work, after, after our shifts for quite a while and uh, would keep talking about cheese and how we're going to make it. And everyone at Ilaria was coming in and being like, oh, I heard you guys are making cheese. Uh, who'd you have who'd started a cheese company? And both of us were like, yep, yep. And we'd continue having some beers after work, talking about cheese and Came up, came up with a company name at the time called Stolen from the Bosom, and uh, we're still at this point hadn't made any cheese at all, um, and we went, we went, went to the um, like the cheese mold cheese festivals and stuff, and would take little like fake coffee cups with Stolen from the Bosom on them, and got got bags made and. Uh, yeah, then then we thought we should we should probably learn learn how to make some cheese soon. <laughs> yeah, um, so she's uh, so we started making cheese together, um, and she's in Portugal now, doing anything she does is going to be spectacular. Um, but yeah, so I've I've continued uh, throughout lock like lockdown was actually pretty amazing and giving me an enormous amount of time to go hard and invest in learning about cheese. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty, it was, yeah, pretty special because you do really need a lot of time to consecutive days in a row to really put into your cheese and learn about it. Um, so having, having, that time period was, yeah, I'd learnt a lot really fast, which was cool, versus making one cheese a month. Over a few years, I managed to condense a lot of different uh, methods into one one big lockdown, which was great, yeah. What have you discovered about making cheese and, and what surprised you about the cheese-making process? Um, I think how simple and complex it is at the same time it's incredibly complex in its diversity but and how different all the cheeses can turn out seems worlds apart um but really simple at the start uh like what each how they all begin and what they're doing, um, yeah, it's 
the those small little changes uh, can create a totally different cheese, but it's all at the start. It's just it's just milk, basically, which which is incredible. And I think the 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 magic that has like attracted me to cheese of how just beautiful milk can do all these different all these different things. Yeah. Are there any similarities you've found between baking and cheese making? Uh, massively, yeah. The um, I think my baking background helps me a lot in have, having spent so much time with doughs um, and how they're moving and what they're doing in the fermentation within bread doughs, I think, has meant that the transition into cheese makes sense uh, to me. Yeah, which is, yeah, I feel very lucky to have that knowledge. Has this experience that you've had mixing those worlds, has that had an impact on what you're doing on the menu at Elaria? Yeah, for sure. The, um, the like, we're, we're working on making, at Elaria, we're working on, making um, the cheese available in the future, um, which will be cool. But uh, it's, yeah, definitely everyone's excited about anything new that we all learn and we all share that with each other. So, yeah, we're all just having fun with each other, learning about different stuff. The process of baking has been described as therapeutic by many, and we saw many sourdoughs appear on Instagram in the last year and a half by people at home. Has, has baking helped you in the last year? Um, yeah, I think that yeah, mine mine being cheese making, I suppose. Um, to it gave me something to look after. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something that depended on me. <laughs> so I had a, I had a purpose. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's been awesome. And uh, with so many people being so interested in cheese as well, creates like a lot of online conversations about what other people are doing and how they're going with their cheese and what you're doing and, uh, yeah, a community within that. With the bubble opening up between New Zealand and Australia, have you had a chance to uh, see any friends or family from back home? Um, my my mum was able to come over uh, for an, an event that I was doing at um, Congress in Collingwood with uh, Zach Tinsley. Yeah, um, we did a like a cheese degustation uh, dinner, which was, yeah, it was cool. So um, we wanted to celebrate our relationship, uh, but also make some cool food and focus on both of us learning about cheese. Um, so it was awesome because mum, mum could come over for that and kind of see what I've been, what I've been doing and eat some, treat her to some, some fun food. Take us through a cheese degustation. It's obviously many courses, but is there some dishes that you can tell us about from that? Yeah, the um, our biggest 
challenge was at not being too cheesy. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we didn't want uh, like Zach and I. We didn't want um, people to leave feeling heavy or leave uh, feeling like they'd eaten too much cheese. And within within cheese making, there's lots of byproducts with the whey and um, things that you can do with that. So so there throughout the courses there were elements uh, related to cheese or to do with the conversation of cheese making um, that uh, like the the main was a sausage because we wanted to talk about uh, rennet in the stomach of the animal and what like what nature is uh, is meant to do, and how the how the cow's stomach, um, the calf's stomach, makes cheese within it, um, and for the for the calf to digest. So, yeah, we we had a lot of fun um, doing things like that, making some like black Jerusalem artichokes with a blue cheese foam and. A whey sorbet clean palate cleanser before before actually getting your cheese. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it was awesome. It was a it was a fun fun event. Yeah, cheese starts with milk. Um, tell us about how important the role that milk plays and what you need in in milk to get the cheese that you want. That's oh, huge. It's um, yeah, the it's the foundation for everything that's going to happen next. Um, I just made some cheeses the other day using uh, Gippsland Jersey's milk and the the difference in yield uh, but quality of the curds, quality of the set, um, how incredibly smooth my arms felt afterwards uh i'm having a like i felt like i'd i'd been at in a spa because the the my arms were so smooth from just the like beautiful milk on them for two hours yeah um no it's it's massive uh it all starts with farming and how the how the cows are treated and if that's done right, you don't need to do much to the cheese because it's in within the milk. Everything's there and set up for a good cheese to be made. If you start with milk that is lacking in some way, or the animal has not had the best life, the the product that you're going to get, you would either need to do a lot of manipulating to it which I'm not interested in um, or yeah, or you just get a shit cheese basically. <laughs> is there, is there a type of cheese um, that you'd love that you would love to, to make one day? I've, oh, I've started trying um, to, uh, I tried to use Mandarin peels uh instead of a wax on a cheese to age it. Wow. Yeah, the, which in my in my mind works and and 
because um, it's it's wax pretty much for the fruit. It's this thing that's like protecting it and keeping it, keeping all the mo- moisture out, but keeping it safe, like safe. It's nice and waterproof on the outside. Um, and when cooked down a little bit and sweet, like uh, sweetened, it tastes delicious too. Um, and uh, the like mixed peel or preserved fruits with cheese go hand go hand in hand. So um, I've done I've done one, uh, and my main issue at the moment is just like making the mistake, <laughs> which uh, is like it's eighty percent worked on this one, but I can see that I just need to reduce a little bit of moisture in the mandarin skins and then I think I'll I think I'll be bang on. But I yeah, I like I want to make something like that or make cheeses where you use nature in a way that complements the thing that you're making but but also is yeah, it just makes makes sense to me that yeah, nature's given us all these ingredients and things that are capable of doing things. Maybe if you put it in a different light, it can help you and make something better. This exploration into cheese that you and journey that you're on, do you see yourself moving more towards that world and away from pastry, or do you see them combining as you move forward? Um, uh, kind of combining, yeah. Um, I think uh, a little bit away, but yeah, still, still with my foot in pastry. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, with with Alaria, um, with Andreas, Andreas, Lucan, uh, Alberto. Um, yeah, would like to make the cheese available um, for people, which is very exciting, and I'm very excited and grateful to do something with them in the future. Um, but yeah, the, I think at the moment heading in the cheese direction. Well, it sounds pretty exciting and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it appear on, on the menu. Uh, we've loved having you on deep in the weeds today, uh, Lucy, to hear your story, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Ah, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.